Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Authentic Being, Dynamic Creativity. Our author, Dr. James R. McCartney, who joins me from Colorado in the United States of America. Welcome, Dr. McCartney. Uh, thank you very much, Jay. Tell me what the doctor is in and uh, why this book got written. The doctorate is in uh, spiritual studies, and uh, the reason I wrote the book is starts a long time ago, but uh, briefly, when I was in high school, my English teacher instructed me to write a paper describing something in my life. I was on a swimming team, so I decided to write about my emotional experience in competition. I turned the paper in a few days later, and she asked, she said she would not give me a grade because she felt the work was not mine. Really? I asked her that if I wrote another story of equal quality, would she give me two grades? She refused. You started to say? I was just curious. That, that's interesting uh, that, uh, that you, uh, you copied somebody else's work and you were going to copy it again and try to get a better grade. That's just is a fascinating approach to creativity. Right, right. It, uh, also, uh, uh, it's the negative things, I think, sometimes in life that drive us to do some of the better things in our life. But a few years later, I was reading, an, uh, uh, I was working at a bookstore and I started reading Nobel Prize winners and it reminded me of my own desire to write, but I continued in life's distractions. The, uh, then, uh, you know, just a few, a few years later after that, I, uh, I uh, was involved in completing my doctoral program and I had to write a dissertation. I used the dissertation as the basis for my book. So I finally got through to start writing my book, and now I'm writing another one. Your, your, your subtitle, Dynamic Creativity, what does that encompass? It's the, uh, it's the basis of uh, living, in my opinion. It's the dynamic creativity is every time you make a choice in your life, you're creating something. You create whatever your life is, is effectively what I'm talking about. And your book talks about, I guess, in a general term, existentialism. Is that the correct term to describe what you've written about? It is. And, and, and what uh, is that? That's a, a term that frequently is a little challenging for some people. They, it's kind of a long word. Uh, but if you look at the root word there, it's existential meaning to exist, the existence of human beings, of course, we're talking about in this case. And you've highlighted individuals like Kierkegaard, uh, Sartre, and Camus, uh, and others. Is, uh, yeah. are those are the foundation of, of the idea? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Kierkegaard uh, was, is considered the father of existentialism. Uh, Camus, uh, is, uh, he received the Nobel Prize writing about it, uh, the and of course Jean Paul Sartre is uh, he actually originated the idea that is has been utilized since. There's many many programs or movies and books which are written on existentialism, including such people as uh, uh, Dostoevsky. 
he uh, considered in one of his writings to be one of the best writers of the of the subject. And I don't think many people think of him as being an existentialist. And uh, creativity is a is a difficult area for many people. Uh, this uh, not just this is not just dealing with ideas. This is dealing with uh, a broader spectrum of uh, of understanding. Is that how you have approached this book? Yes. Uh, the The basis of, of the book it has, well, it has several different bases insofar as I use uh, Zen Buddhism, for example, uh, mindfulness. I'm sure you've heard that term. Mm-hmm. Yes. But mindfulness uh, is simply being aware of what you're doing. Uh, unfortunately, we often, as I demonstrated, as I mentioned earlier, I demonstrated that in my earlier life in getting caught up in doing things almost like a, uh, as is in, in automation. Uh, we live in a mechanistic society, and uh, it's awfully easy to get caught up in that and not express the real you, the real you being uh, an ex- expressing the innate qualities that we each have. You haven't really uh, touched on how that first conversation we had about your school teacher and your your uh, your writing early in high school. How did that turn out, and how did that impact your life? Well, she, uh, as as I mentioned, she would not give me a grade. Uh, she just refused. And how that impacted my life, it motivated me. It uh, it 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 was a it was a very indelible uh, effect on my life. It it always haunted me. Uh, another experience like that ha- uh, happened to me uh, at a college, uh, University of Washington, as a matter of fact, a teacher there. Uh, when I went up and challenged the grade, she gave me a B, and I thought it demanded more. Uh, when I asked her why she gave me that grade, she really couldn't answer, and it was a subjective uh, uh, answer, but again, uh, that challenged me and pushed me to move forward. And was a source of motivation for you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this happens on an individual and a collective basis. By collective, I'm talking about uh, uh, ethnic groups. Uh, sometimes they're pushed under, uh, pushed down, and uh, uh, they leave sometimes after a period of, of time it takes, but even so, ultimately, they tend to build on that to become strong. That, that doesn't kill you. Is that what they say? That which doesn't kill you will make you stronger. <laughs> yes, yes. This is a, a, a reflective book. Who do you think will uh, enjoy the read, and who's your target audience? You know, my target audience is actually everybody and anybody. Uh, I've been surprised. I had one interview with a, uh, a business publication uh, that uh, he wanted that as uh, the basis for uh, an, an article he was writing addressing CEOs and how they could uh, you know, increase their functionality. Uh, I've talked to school teachers who say, uh, oh, yes, that's, you know, that really is the way we think. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the way we should think in some instances. But even so, uh, I think they see it as, as both toward themselves and f- toward the direction they're trying to guide their students. How would you recap the book as far as putting it in a couple of th- two or three sentences and describe what the general premise of your book is about? Uh, 
that's that was an easier question asked than answered. <laughs> uh, the the general premise of the book is, as I mentioned before, the premise is that we are responsible for the things that happen in our life. Sometimes that's very awkward. Uh, you certainly are not responsible if you're sitting on an airplane and the airplane goes down. But you're responsible for the way you respond to that. Uh, there's all kinds of ways, of course, that you can respond to different things that happen. The uh, process idea of, of the book is positive thinking. It's, uh, it's based on new thought philosophy is positive thinking. Uh, thinking always, it, the emphasis there, by the way, is on thinking. That's the problem. That's what, as I mentioned before, uh, the challenge of the whole thing is the, uh, the repetitious nature of our being. Right. Uh, so that's really what I'm, I'm after, trying to get people more aware of that, including myself, by the way. And how long did it take you to do the research and actually get this book into print? 103 pages. Well, that's, uh, yeah, 103 pages. <clears throat> it took it took me two years to write the book, but getting it into place, it starts when I was in a, right now working in a bookstore in Seattle, Washington, and uh, becoming aware of different things, including uh, Nobel Prize winners that I was reading. They they reading that challenged me to express myself. Uh, so there's been much that goes into this, and I suppose that's the case with most writers. The idea of uh, expressing things that they've been thinking for a long time, for a long period of time. In recapping your book, at least from a thought process, there are, there are there are some themes I'm sure that you want readers to take away from from the read. What is the the main thing that you want readers to to understand from reading your book? I think the primary thing is uh, self-responsibility, that they can have what they really want from life, uh, that they, that many of us are living, as I mentioned before, mechanistic-type lives. We're like robots going through day by day, doing the regular things, making a living, by the way, or producing, uh, but not expressing the inequality of creativity which we each have. We each have, in what I've tried to imply in this, in the writing, uh, a kind of genius. And that was what I'm trying to awaken, the expression of that genius. Have you included personal stories in here? And if you have, what is the most interesting, at least from your perspective, that you think the reader will enjoy? Well, I, you know... Uh, I write one of a uh, a young man, or not a young man, a person dreaming, and uh, this person dreams as it is. It's a it's a male, but he dreams that uh, he is a genius. He has he has accepted or learned something really magnificent, and he goes skipping down the street, saying, "I'm a genius. I'm a genius." And a lady coming in the opposite direction kind of smiles, but. Uh, uh, says to him, let me see your genius. And uh, he, his, his whole awareness went crashing to the ground because he re realized he had nothing to show for his genius. Uh, he then, as the story concludes, he turns over and goes back to sleep. Well, that's, a, that's a, I guess, an awakening idea. Uh, 
I've had similar dreams, but I don't think I have been a genius in them. I just tell everybody I am one. <laughs> well, I think that that's that's you are you are that's the whole point. Uh, you 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 know I have no idea whether you feel that you're in exactly the kind of uh, uh, vocation that you want to be. Of course, we choose to be where we at, but the question is. Are you really creating the things you want in your life? I think that you serve a, a great purpose, but that doesn't mean that you feel that way. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a creative guy by nature, not a very good, uh, fastidious student. Details are f- fun only at times when they're necessary. I don't read instructions like most guys when they're putting stuff together. I'm getting, hey, be- I'm getting better at that. You're not a man if you read instructions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not for guys. That's, that's, that's a... what I've always heard. <laughs> <laughs> there must have been some challenges in writing your book. What were those, and how did you overcome them to get it into, uh, into print? The biggest challenge, strangely enough, uh, one of the biggest challenges comes at the end. 10% of the time, as I said, it took me two years to write the book, 10% of the time goes into writing. 90% goes into uh, promoting the book. And that is very difficult. It's uh, very c- uh, time-consuming. It's just as time-consuming as writing is. It's much more enjoyable, <laughs> in retrospect, to write than it is to do the, you know, uh, the uh, to promote the book, to get it going. Right. Well, if you didn't have the promotion side, you wouldn't be talking to me, and your life would be dull and boring. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for sharing time with me. The title of this book is Authentic Being, Dynamic Creativity, and our author is Dr. James R. McCartney. James, where do we get copies of your book? You can get copies uh, at almost any bookstore. Distributors are distributing it to any of them. Sometimes it has to be ordered uh, you know, directly from the bookstore, and they'll bring it in for you, but it's also available through the publisher. And quite often on Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com is also a good source for our listeners. James, have you activated a website to promote your book as yet? Uh, not yet. But you may in the future, so people can Absolutely. do a search under your name and certainly find out about this particular book and anything else you might write in the future. Right. James, are you planning to write an additional book in the future? I, I do. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit more closer to my original intention, which, as you mentioned, you asked me about the story within the book. The future book is a collection of short stories. Excellent. We'll look forward to talking to you about that when that happens. And for our listeners, you can research or find Dr. James R. McCartney online by doing a search under his name, last name M-C-C-A-R-T-N-E-Y. James, thank you, sir, for joining me today. Jay, thank you very much for uh, having me. Good visiting with you. Have a great day. Thank you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station.
Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris on air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our book today is a book that should be of great interest to a lot of people. It's titled That You May Know Him, 95 Titles and Names God Gave to Jesus. Our author, Clifford Deister. Clifford, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. There are over 95 titles that you have come up with. Do you think there may be even more than that that have been designated to Jesus Christ? Yes, I know. I spent a lot of time one summer reading clear through the Bible, finding in the Old Testament the things about Jesus and then finding the fulfillments in the New and I came up with 156, Wow! but I didn't want to write that big of a book for this purpose. Well, you've still managed to pen 346 pages. Why were you inspired, motivated? What was your desire in, in writing this book? Well, there is so much confusion about Jesus and how to obey the gospel and the different things that seem to be divided and confused the Christian world. And I decided I would call attention to all of these things that Jesus did for each one of us, and that would perhaps bring people back to greater faith and to studying the Bible for themselves. Your background, uh, was this a hobby for you, or were you also involved in ministry? I was a min- I was an evangelist for uh, and preached the gospel for 70 years until a stroke hit me and I had to stop. My goodness, and your bio also mentions you have been married to the same tolerant lady for 66 years. Yes, soon be 67. Amazing. That's that's a story in itself that probably you and I should talk about off the air. Uh, I've been married a long time myself, all my life, so I can relate to uh, some of the challenges with marriage, the challenges also of study. You have uh, spent a lot of time developing this material. How long did it take you to to write your book? I would say I worked at it about three years. Uh, However, I had done all of the studying in the prophecy and fulfillment about Jesus before, many, many years before, and but considering writing this book is probably about three years. And did you work off of, uh, I guess, since there's no fiction, at least from your perspective in this book, that there was no notes to take other than getting it into, uh, did you put it chronologically? Did you put it alphabetically? How did you separate out the names of Christ? Alphabetically, I tried to think about it in terms of uh, when they happened, but that seemed to be difficult. And any other thing that I came up with seemed to me that alphabetically was the easiest and most logical. Many of these, those who are church attenders and who have studied Scripture, will recognize uh, Alpha and Omega, of course, which is a, a revelation uh, designation that was given to Christ, uh, Apostle of our profession, Arm of the Lord, author and finish of our faith, author of eternal life, beloved Son, blessed and only 
Potentate, which I had forgotten, and uh, that's that's a, a new and refreshing uh, title that was given to the Lord. Uh, Captain of our salvation, the cornerstone out of Psalms. Who is going to benefit from reading this? Is this something that is going to be too complicated for the average church-going individual to read, or is this something that will enhance their spiritual life? Oh, it'll be easy for them to read and to understand because I have not put it in any difficult language or anything, and I think it'll be easy. And Paul said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and I wrote it so people can increase their faith. And the way to do that is, of course, to read the Word of God. So in my writing about Jesus, I have quoted him or the things that the apostles and prophets wrote about him so that it would be verbatim from Jesus. And so it would be not in, in, in interpretations of anyone, just what did Jesus say. And I hope that will increase their faith. That's my purpose. 346 pages is a, um, an, an ambitious work from, from my perspective, since I have, uh, as part of the media age, a little bit of a short attention span. Can these chapters be broken down and studied a little bit at a time and uh, then move on to the next? Yes, I have had several people. One man told me, we read them together two at a night, and then It'll take them quite a while to get through the Bible, but that way he said they could really digest them and and understand and appreciate them. You've also, in your style, have uh, approached this more than just a commentary. You've included personal stories in here. Was there one particular story that really you think is unique and underscores the value of what you've written? Yes, I think one thing that, that was unique was when I was a teenager... Uh, I wasn't even out of what we call grade school then. The local merchant asked me if I'd like to have a little job, and it was candling eggs. And I learned then that if the rooster's sperm was in the egg, it would develop into a chicken, and that the sperm of the rooster was what caused the new life. And I, I just remembered that. And then when I came to the New Testament, I found out that we all have the blood of Adam, and in Adam all die. And Christ's blood came from the, the Father, the Holy Spirit, that overwhelmed Mary and caused him to be born. And so his blood is unique and different. And so that one thing that happened when I was a, a, a young teenager stuck with me, and I think that was really valuable then in coming to the New Testament to find that Jesus' blood is the only blood that could have ever rescued us and taken away our sins. The title of your book, That You May Know Him, that has double meaning as far as a title, doesn't it? Yes. It has a sc- uh, scriptural reference, and, and it also has a meaning to the reader. Yes, uh, the I hope it's calling their attention so that they will each one get to know him better, that you may know him. And I found in my ministry many, many years that people have a what I call a shallow knowledge about Jesus. They don't know all the things that he did for them and all the things that the Holy Trinity planned even before the world began that he would accomplish when he came to be a human being. And so I thought if I wrote about 95 of them, or it turned out 95, <clears throat> that this would help people to understand that 
those and then that there are more yet that they can study. Are there other key messages in your book in addition to the study of the names of Christ? Well, I think it would be uh, fair to say that I see division and confusion in what is the gospel and what is the church, and I would like to then use only Jesus' words and the apostles' words verbatim in what is the gospel, because Paul said, if anyone preaches any other gospel than that which we should preach unto you, he will be accursed. And so I wanted to underscore what is the gospel. It was first spoken by the Lord and then confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And so I want I think that's important that we stick with what is written in the Word and what the words of Jesus were and what the words of the apostles were quoting him. In studying and uh, assembling the material for your book, did that have any positive impact on your faith? Well, it still does. I like to, after I have the book already written, my wife and I are reading it together again, and every time I read it, I think it increases my faith and awareness of Jesus and, and Him being in my life. And so I think that's the, the important thing, that as people get God's Word from the Bible, then that's going to cause them, every time they read it, to re-evaluate and then recommit and uh, just really live a closer life to Jesus. Many people who are church attenders and those who are not uh, are a little confused about the idea and the concept of Jesus Christ being God's Son. How can we convince them and get them to know Jesus better? I don't know. You know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the word God there is not understood by by most people. They just think it's God the Father, but they analyze the word Elohim the I am makes it plural, so you have to say, if it's plural, who are they? And then we find out as we read the Bible that if it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three of them, the Trinity, was together when they decided to make the heaven and earth and create people. And so people need to, need to understand that and always say, well, this word God, is it God the Father? If not, is God the Son and the Holy Spirit, all three of them together, like in Genesis 1 and other times in the Bible? So I think people have kind of a limited knowledge of who Jesus is and the Trinity, and it's wonderful if they can clear, clarify that, and it helps them, I think, to grow in Christ. And I assume approaching their spiritual life with an open heart, that also is an important aspect and uh, prerequisite for growing in your faith. Yes, it is. Someone wrote a little two-line poem, and it says, the old is in the new concealed, and the new, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed, as though there were a lot of things in the Old Testament that were going to be made clear or fulfilled in the New Testament. And that's exactly the story of the Bible we have all these things, the 95 I've identified, and then others that are mentioned in the Old Testament, and all of them are fulfilled by Jesus. In fact, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And we need to say, what was finished? Well, what was finished was that he had fulfilled all of the things that were written about him. And when they were all done, then he could look back on them, even after he was suffer 
while he was suffering on the cross and say, it is finished. A lot of people think he meant that it was finished, the suffering on the cross. Well, that could be true, but what he really meant was that all of these things that were written about him and that he had fulfilled them all one by one, he could check them off and finally come to the last one and say, it is finished. And that, of course, was his death on the cross where he shed his precious blood for the sins of the world. Cliff, take a couple of uh, seconds and maybe two or three sentences and introduce this book to someone who may not have a clue about your content or about your writing or your history. I believe that Jesus is the most important person that ever lived because he had done something for humanity that nobody else could do. And I think you would be spending your time wisely not just because of my book but because of his book and getting to understand it and and know exactly what Jesus did for you. He did more for you than you've ever realized. Maybe you haven't even stopped to realize any of them, but if not, then I think you you should, that Jesus wants you to be saved. In Adam, and when we have Adam's blood, it was condemned and, and contaminated, and in it we all die. But Jesus came that he had shed his blood, and that could give us life. The first thing in my uh, that I discussed in my book was Adam, first and second Adam. The first Adam gave us death, and now the second Adam, who is Jesus, wants to give us life, and not just life, but eternal life. He came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So if you're not familiar with the Bible and would like to get acquainted with it and with my book, just for the purpose of identifying what Jesus did for you, I would hope that you would read it and find the faith that you need. Cliff, do you think your book is different from others that are already in the marketplace dealing with this same topic? I haven't been that much in the marketplace to see, but I I know that most of the things that are said are very limited. They say we just pray a prayer of faith, or if you were baptized as an infant and all of that. And those things are not what really are in the Bible. The Bible expects you to believe and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins and to live a Christian life. That's what the the book says. Jesus said after he had his crucified and everything was kind of, kind of finished, he said, these are the words that I spoke to you, that all things must be fulfilled about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, as though all of it worked together and made one beautiful story. And the beautiful story, one of the main characters for you is you, that Jesus came to die for you. And he did that, and he wants to have you have eternal life. So he makes each and every one of us the main character in our own life, in our own book. Beautifully put. Is there a challenge that was difficult for you to overcome, or did this book come together very easily for you? Well, I think time was uh, the thing that I was preaching and teaching school. I was also a band director for 27 years and had two careers going, and so Time was one of the things that I always didn't seem to have enough of to get it get it all put together. But over the many, many years, then I came up with all of the things that Jesus did for us in prophecy and fulfillment. And then I finally found the time to put together in this book. 
and I enjoy reading this book myself, and I hope everyone else will. The book title again is That that You May Know Him, 95 Titles and Names God Gave to Jesus, and our author is Clifford Deister. Clifford, where can our listeners get copies of your book? It's available at barnesandnoble.com and at amazon.com. Do you also I have think a website? I will be able to get them in a hurry. Sure. And do you have a website as well? I do have a website uh, that you may know him dot com or that you may know him dot Deister dot com. And Deister is spelled D E I S T E R for those of you who yes, may do a search it's, online. It's a German, a German name, the Deister Mountains. I guess my ancestors were German hillbillies. Wow! Because they were from. The, the Deister Mountains that are near Frankfurt. Fabulous. And are you planning a sequel to this book? I don't know. Uh, I'm 91 years old. Who knows what will happen tomorrow? For 91 so years I, old, I think you've got a lot to say and a lot to talk about yet. So perhaps in the future we'll still get to visit with you and talk about an, another book that you have written. Thank you for visiting with me today. And I appreciate you getting an opportunity to do this. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, A 360-Degree Perspective, A Mother-Daughter Journey of Come Here Meets Been There. And the authors are Dr. M. Jean Dolphus Cotton and her daughter, Corrie S. Cotton. Hello, Dr. Cotton. Hello. Great to have you with us, and hello, Corrie. Hello there. Great to have you both with us. Uh, this book, how your lives have intertwined and, and how you have uh, been there for each other and how you've learned, especially, Corrie, learning from your mom. And you say this book is a love story between a mother and daughter and a demonstration of their two journeys following similar yet distinct paths that intersected in some places and separated at others and at the end of the day came full circle and thus of course the title a 360 degree perspective that's right well before we get into some of the details some of the things that you'd like to share with us about your book 
Uh, Dr. Cotton, tell us a little bit about your background and, and uh, what has brought you to this point in your life. Well, my background is, I almost said, relatively simple, and I guess I saw it that way all the time. But I came up with a family of singers. My dad and his brothers sang, and I, my sisters and I sang, and my girls and, and Karee's sisters sing. So we were singers and, and uh, educators, and my children, that's, that's just the way we came up. That's the family. So that's what we do. That's all we know to do. And uh, until the book came up, well, we do writing and, and we do a lot of traveling and that kind of thing. So we're excited people. We love to travel. We love people, and all we know is service. We come up, we came up, and we're still in the church. So that's all we know. But we see it now. We see a difference in being sacred and secular. We see it as one life, and that's the way we live it. And you've been part of Stack Records. Of course, we we, we uh, my sisters and I were with Sax Records. And Kareed, back in the sixties, yeah, Kareed, tell us about your background. Well, absolutely, Mom passed that legacy of music down to me. I tell people that I'm an attorney by trade, but I'm a singer by passion. As Mom said, uh, singing is what we do. It's been a ministry uh, for us for years, and uh, I have had the distinct pleasure of uh, traveling on a journey where I was trying to choose for many years between whether to pursue music or whether to pursue a law career. And it was through my journey and self-realization, I like to say coming to myself, that I realized that uh, both of them make me who I am, who I am today, so I didn't have to choose. And so now I do them both. I am uh, an attorney at a Fortune 500 company, a well-known company, and uh, I also am a musician, and so that's what makes me who I am. And formerly of the Grammy-winning Sounds of Blackness. That's absolutely right, absolutely right. I think uh, most of our listeners might uh, be familiar with the song Optimistic, Optimistic which catapulted us into uh, uh, mainstream uh, commercial uh, media back in the early 90s. I say, uh, my, my director, Gary Hines, says that once you're a member of the Sounds, you're always a member. So I carry that experience along with me uh, in my continued journey. Well, let's start with you, Karee. Tell us about this special bond that you've had with your mom since you were first came into this world. Oh, absolutely. Um, mom, again, you, I think you just said it very eloquently. Mom and I have had a bond, a special bond, since... Uh, for as long as I can even remember. Uh, she, along with my dad, uh, really gave me and my siblings a really strong foundation, and they taught us that uh, anything that we wanted to do, anything that we wanted to be, as long as we put our minds and hearts to it, that we could do it. And, of course, I had no better sense <laughs> than to believe that. And so that's what really um, uh, inspired me to pursue my dream of becoming a lawyer as a young woman, uh, a young youngster, I would say. At 14 years old, I decided I wanted to be in service through the practice of law. Uh, singing is something that kind of always came uh, naturally to us. It was just a part of what we did. As my mom just said, it's just what we did. So that was always embedded. It was always a part of my soul. It was ingrained in me, if you will. Um, and so, you know, I, I like to tell people that 
um, you know, over the years, I, I really stood on mom's shoulders, growing with my own successes and, and even failures. And, you know, um, just when I thought that I was clever, maybe a little too smart or maybe even lucky, I realized that really it was my mom's seed uh, that was growing inside of me. So I endeavored uh, to give back to her. And as we grew, um, as, as I grew as an adult and we went on our own separate journeys, as mom became uh, more and more into her golden years, I noticed uh, a big change in her. And, 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 and I, I just wondered about that. And mom started to ask questions very introspectively, like, you know, have I done enough? You know, have I left enough of a legacy? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> you had six beautiful children, and you gave us such strong, such strong foundations that we could take a little piece of you and become our own people. And so that's what really started this project. I said, Mom, let's write a book. You know, let's write about our journeys. Let's talk about the parallels of our journey, and let's talk about the legacy that you've left for your children so that we can leave that legacy for your children and their children and their children's children and on and on. Um, and so that's what we're talking about. And even though, as I say, we've lived separate lives, we've had so many similarities. And at the end of the day, you know, whether it's, as, as my mom's mom used to say, come here telling been there, uh, and as we say in the introduction of the book, or whether it's been here telling come here, it's a 360-degree experience, and it's a beautiful experience. And that's what this story is about, telling our story to preserve my mom's legacy. And that's what we're encouraging others to do as well, tell their stories so that they can preserve their legacy. Well, as the mom, Dr. Cotton, you certainly... I guess, uh, set the pace, uh, your career and education, all your degrees that you pursued, uh, you certainly must look back on that, and that's got to be very fulfilling because you've uh, helped so many people along the way because of all that you learned. Well, that was one of the great things about the book, and reawakening some of the memories that had just sort of gone to rest remembering things that you just wouldn't think of. And I said that Sunday as I talked to the people in the congregation, you just wouldn't think of things that just pop up. Because uh, along the way you meet so many beautiful people and you carry so many of them along with you as you go. Just as I carried the children along with me, many of them shared in many of my experiences as I went along. For instance, Corey and I shared a, a whole lot. And there was other children, who was at Paula, who shared in, in uh, the music as we traveled. And Miss Paula grew up in, uh, Corey took up where she, where she left off, and we just went on. It, was, it just seemed to be such a natural thing that we just, uh, we were a people people. That's the way it was. And and I, just have to, I just have to echo that. I have to say that, you know, education is something that uh, really was not forced on us. A mother really set an example uh, for education, and my father encouraged us to uh, just learn and always to strive to know more. And even after mom had had six children, uh, she went on to pursue postgraduate degrees and it was just something that we did. It was just something that we wanted to do. It was nothing that was ever forced on us. And so she always set that example for us. So in, indi in addition to touching other people and, as my mom says, carrying them forward, she continued to carry us forward and live as a mentor for, for me and, and as well as for my siblings. 
Well, Dr. Cotton, you uh, have a strong message for women. Uh, You write this, it's imperative to take care of yourself first in order to effectively care for the ones you love. Uh, Comment on that, if you will. Absolutely. It it, it all begins and ends with you. In the workshops I do, the very first statement I make, it all begins and ends with you. Until you can do it for you, you cannot effectively do it for anybody else. Unless you're happy, how do you know how to try to help me to, to, to reach that goal? So it's sort of contrary to how we came up as children. We were always taught to do for others. Others come first, and you're the last on the totem pole. But through the years as I've grown and had experiences, I've come to learn that you've got to first do it for you, not from a selfish standpoint. But once you do it for you, then you know better how to do it for others. If I don't know how to love me, how do I know how to love respect and appreciate you if I can't do it for me. And I just think that's so well said. And in, in, in the book we, we talk about in one of the gems, in the gem section of the book we talk about heed the aviation warning. You know, you, you get on the plane and you hear the announcements, you know, hear the doors and hear the exits and, and you, if the cabin pressure drops, the, the oxygen mass will drop down. And if you're traveling with a companion, make sure that you put that oxygen mask on yourself first. Because if you don't do that, then you're not in a position to help someone else. So I think that's a, a great echo uh, to my mom's, uh, my mom's story there. Corey, how do you distinguish between you yourself and the roles you play in life? You know, I think that, I think it's an excellent. I think it's an, it's an excellent question. You know, sometimes we find that uh, we're in a position where we're pay- and uh, where we're playing a mother role or we're playing a sister role. I think it really stems back to what mom was saying about starting the whole thing starts with you. If you are not sure who you are as a person, if you're not bringing your whole self to everything that you do, then you're just doing that. You're just playing a role. You're checking off the box, but you're not but you're living a fragmented life and you're not being a completely fulfilled individual. So kind of, again, to echo what my mom said, it's imperative that you know who you are, that you are true to yourself first, and that you bring all of you, a whole complete you, to what you do. And then you're not just serving the role of a mother or the role of a sister or role of a mentor. You're bringing your whole self to everything that you do. Absolutely. Let me, let me chime in. Please, on that. Just, please. Let me give a good example. I'm uh, Karee's mom. I'm somebody's sister, I'm somebody's something else, and somebody's something else. I'm, I'm a lot of things to a lot of people, but I'm more than just those things I do. I'm more than that. And, and then I have to distinguish between those roles. When I, the, the kids, I'm the kid's mother, I'm the children's mother. They care less about what I am when I'm Dr. Cotton. They, they don't care about that. But, and I have to be able to distinguish and not let my mother role uh, bleed into my, my psychology role or my minister role or my performance role. But deep down under all of that, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an individual. I'm an expression of love. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. So, so I'm more than the things that I do. That's what I'm saying. And I have to be able to distinguish between all of those things. And I have to find that 
special place for me, and that's special who I am, and know how to love and appreciate that part, in addition to being able to do all of those other things without overshadowing that special me. Like to, mommy, I'm mama to me. <laughs> <laughs> like to end just on the, this this question, and I'll start with you, Dr. Cotton, and then Corey, please uh, give us your view too. Uh, I want to talk about the difference between effective leadership and extraordinary leadership. I know we're short on time. I, I, if you don't mind, I'll take that. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind. I think, you know, when you are in charge of a project or you are in charge of individuals, you know, you can dictate to people what to do or you can fulfill a role even if you're not particularly passionate about it and you can be somewhat effective. But in our minds, to be an extraordinary leader, I, 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 like, I put it this way, when, uh, when there is a, an organizational need aligned with your passion as well as your skill set, that's when you are your best self. As a leader, it's not just—it's not enough just to have a need or a skill set, but you got to have that passion. When all those things are appropriately aligned, that's when you are your most effective. Your, I would say, effective to the nth power uh, as, as being a leader. That, that's what we call extraordinary leadership, because you're bringing everything you are to what you do. Your skill set your passion, and you're fulfilling a need in, within an organization. And that's what transfers and translates to the people that you're leading. And I think I can speak to both my mom and me when I say that's extraordinary leadership. But, Mom, yeah. did you want to add something? Yes, else? go ahead, Dr. Just Cotton. Give, just, just giving you to it, giving, giving you totally to what you do, right. total commitment. Yeah, it does take that passion, like you were saying, Corrie. Uh, good, good, uh, good way to teach the difference between effective leadership and extraordinary leadership. Well, we've really enjoyed getting to know Dr. M. Jean Dolphus Cotton and her daughter, Corrie S. Cotton. Thank you so much, both of you, for being with us. Uh, Corrie, why don't you tell us, how do we get your book? You can reach us at www.kocoentertainment.com. Coco Entertainment, K-O-C-O-Entertainment.com. Or you can also uh, pick up the book at xlibris.com, X-L-I-B-R-I-S, Amazon.com, and BarnesandNoble.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.